The Conformance Cast is an educational series format podcast providing information on international standards, quality systems, conformity assessment, and measurement training. For more information on the topics covered here, visit a2lawpt.org for blog posts, free recorded webinars, and our entire catalog of instructor-led and e-learning courses. Welcome to the Conformance Cast, a podcast by HLA Workplace Training. I'm your host, Evan Hodges, and for this, our very first series, I'm joined by Mr. Rob Kanaki of A2LA. How are you? Hey, Evan, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at A2LA? Sure. I am the accreditation manager for the calibration program here at A2LA, so I'm mainly responsible for overseeing the staff that supports our accreditation program for calibration and the day-to-day management of that. Uh, I have been told by, you know, someone whose authority I trust that you're known as Mr. Awesome. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. I mean, and I have the nameplate on my door to, you know, verify that that is accurate. (laughs) You can't just buy those anywhere, you know? Yeah, you can't just, yeah, you can't just have those made. You know, you got to show some credentials, so. That's right. It was, there was a ceremony and everything. It was very official. (laughs) Well, I'm good to I'm glad to know that we, you know, have somebody who knows what they're talking about. So this podcast is going to be presented in a series format. So we'll spend a few episodes at a time talking about a specific subject with an expert. Uh, And then for the next series after that, we'll talk about a different subject with a different expert and so on and so forth. So you can tune in for the things that are relevant to your organization or to your industry, or you can listen to it all straight through and absorb a ton of information on a ton of different subjects. This series is on the top 10 deficiencies cited for ISO IEC 17025. That's the 2017 version specifically. 17025 is, of course, the International Standard for Testing and Calibration Laboratories. And since many of our classes are specific to calibration and metrology and to this very standard, we thought this would be a great topic to talk about for the first ever A2LA Workplace Training podcast series. But before we kind of like dive into the really crunchy stuff, the clauses, I wanted to get a little bit of background info. So, Rob... Uh, how did you get this data in the first place? Where does this come from? How do we know that these are the top 10 deficiencies cited for 17025? Well, something that's always been of interest to our customers are, you know, what, what deficiencies, what types of things are you finding during assessments? So when we developed the database, we wanted to ensure that we captured the clauses and the sections of the standard that were specific to the deficiency that was being cited. So when the database was developed, we we programmed that into the infrastructure so we can very easily capture and monitor exactly how many deficiencies are being cited to which specific sections of 17025 and then a report uh, to give us a summary of that data. Cool. Um, so why is this sort of information like relevant to labs? Like who, who would access this and what would they be gaining out of it by knowing this information? So whether you're a laboratory that is looking to apply for accreditation, if you're currently accredited, 
The information is useful because it kind of demonstrates common pitfalls or areas of non-compliance that potentially you could avoid if you you knew about. Um, you know, it's like trying to avoid stepping on the rake and getting smacked in the forehead as you navigate, you know, the accreditation field. So that that's kind of uh, the probably the people who would be interested in knowing this information. Yeah, it's so it's it's the stuff that tends to trip people up, basically. Generally, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find that there's any kind of pattern for what clauses tend to produce a lot of deficiencies? Like, what what is there a common theme throughout all 10 of these that you think is relevant for people to be aware of? Well, I, I, I think that a commonality amongst most or maybe even all of them is the if, the, if there's a high probability of human error, um, then, you know, people will make a mistake, right? You know, it's just, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So there are a lot of clauses that um, have some in administrative type responsibilities for staff to just kind of have to remember to do things, to document things, to update documents. And we get busy, we get uh, you know behind on things, and sometimes those things slip through the cracks. So that's one thing that I would say is uh, common amongst a lot of these clauses. So I'm sure we'll get into this when we go over the clauses individually also, but are there any major differences? This is the 2017 version, like I said. We're only pulling data from the 2017 version for this, for this conversation. Um, are there any differences between the 2005 version and the 2017 version, which is now ubiquitous for everyone? Yeah, so one area that I would say has been a, a common challenge for especially calibration is the documentation of decision rules and communication of that to your customers that goes along with um, in the contract review process and then also reporting requirements that uh, we do talk about a little bit uh, later on. So that is something that was not necessarily new to the 2017 standard, but was greatly expanded upon in the 2017 standard, as well as uh, proficiency testing and inter-laboratory uh, activities to maintain the quality of your results. So 2017 broke apart the QC activities we do for uh, ensuring the integrity of our data in our laboratories, and they added some additional clarification on the external activities we do, like an ILC or interlaboratory comparison or proficiency test, and the internal things like our quality control checks that we're doing, round robins, things like that. So those are not necessarily new. I don't think there's anything that's really new per se in the, this revision, but um, there are some elements that got expanded upon and clarified that uh, weren't so clear in the old version that um, some laboratories are adapting to still. All right. So... Uh, I have this list here, the big secret list, and we're going to start with number 10, which is the 10th most commonly cited deficiency. That clause is 7.2.1, which is on method validation. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, this is a very long one, and I'm sure that that contributes to having a lot of deficiencies cited against it. Um, but it's got multiple parts. Uh, all of them go over the selection and validation of methods. Um, so laboratories have to select methods appropriate to their customers' needs, and then they have to have appropriate documentation and records to show that they've validated those methods. 
So what do you think is it about this that really trips people up? Well, first, I have a question for you, Evan. Mm -hmm. Um, Are we going to have like a, you know, a soundbite in here, like, you know, counting down top tens? It's very important. (laughs) Yeah, we Uh, should put like one of those air horns, you know, very important. Clause number 10. I had a different sound for every number. So, well, so this clause, though, uh, to get back on track. The important thing with this clause is that the laboratory is using appropriate and technically valid methods. And at the end of the day, that's really what the standard is is requiring. And that also when a customer reaches out and they're asking the laboratory to perform testing or calibration activities, that the method used is clearly communicated between the customer and the laboratory. The laboratory can then, you know, verify that they have the capabilities to provide that method or if there's any sort of miscommunication, they ask for the wrong method, or they really don't know uh, which method they need, which happens a lot, actually, quite frequently. The customer kind of relies on the laboratory to be the source of the knowledge to tell them what method should be used, what is appropriate. So there's a communication back and forth, and all of that needs to be jo- uh, excuse me, all of that needs to be documented and uh, technically uh, correct before the work even starts, and then. The laboratory has to perform that method, and sometimes there are issues with the sample or the item not being appropriate for the method, and there's more communication needed. And another part of that whole section has to do with laboratories that uh, develop or perhaps modify a standard method. So they take something like an ASTM or an ISO method or you know AOAC method, depending on your area, and for whatever reason, it's not quite right for their application. So they're going to take that and they're going to make modifications. Now, when they do that, they have to validate those modifications to ensure that that method that they've created or revised is technically appropriate and valid for their application. You know, it's going to get them the results that they would expect. And that all has to be documented. And one new thing that was added in this 2017 revision was that there's now this uh, this word verification. And the laboratory has to verify these methods that they put in place in their lab. And that, that's regardless of, uh, uh, you know, if they develop that themselves or if they're going to use a standard method like ASTM or AOAC. So they have to not only, you know, take a standard method, but they have to go ahead and then ensure that they can actually implement and run that method correctly in their laboratory before they just start doing that testing or, or calibration activity. So there's a lot of, a lot of documentation uh, a lot of very important requirements because this is the integrity of the data and the methods that we use. Uh, so the standard has a lot of requirements in this section, and I think that's one of the reasons you see it in our top 10 list. I imagine the word appropriate and like the appropriateness of the method is subjective to a certain extent, which causes some ambiguity. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, it, it, it can be challenging depending on the industry you're in as well. In the calibration world, which is the world I live in for the most part, there there aren't a lot of standard methods. Uh, a lot of the methods for calibration are based on manufacturer specifications or instruction manuals, I should say, uh, perhaps some old military methods and things of that nature. So there can be some discussion about if you took a method that was really meant for something like a three and a half digit multimeter that was manufactured 20 years ago, and you want to try to use that for maybe a five and a half digit multimeter uh, today, 
Um, you know, a lot changed. A lot has changed <laughs> since uh, the past twenty years. So, Thank is that method really appropriate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, some some for good, some for bad. But um, so, you know, there's some discussion on is this method really appropriate? And then the laboratory has to, of course, then verify that it indeed is. Um, so you you can run into some challenges and discussions, but really, it's about demonstrating that the method you've selected is indeed appropriate. And if you're doing this verification, you should have that evidence to show it is appropriate. I think that's a theme that carries through a lot of these as far as like the documentation and being able to not only do the correct thing, but prove that you're doing the correct thing. I think that that comes up a lot. So with that, we're going to move on to number nine, the ninth most cited deficiency, uh, which is 8.8. That's internal auditing. Uh, comparatively, this is a much shorter section, but clearly it's still an, an issue for people. Uh, do, you, do you know exactly what, what the deal is with this? Why, why do people have such a hard time with it, do you think? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to time and resources to do an appropriate internal audit. You know, even here at H2LA, we, we recently just did our internal audit and it takes a lot of time, a lot of planning. Um, we had, I think, eight members on our internal audit team to cover all the schemes that we had and trying to coordinate that and, and meet your schedules that you've set for yourself can be very challenging. With the new version of the standard, they did relax some of the requirements a bit from the 2005 version. They took more of a risk-based approach. So the laboratory has a bit more flexibility in what they're going to audit and when, but they still have to have a program in place. And where I've seen most struggles is that they've set up a program uh, that would meet the intent of the standard, and they just kind of fall short on the follow-through of actually implementing their own program. You know, they get delays, you get busy, um, things fall behind, and that's okay. But again, you have to ensure that you're documenting if you're going to you know, uh, extend some of these audit intervals or things like that, make adjustments. If you've written yourself into a corner with your procedure and your frequency, then you're going to cause yourself an issue with uh, not meeting your own um, program that you've established for yourself. Consistency is key in all mm -hmm. things in life. <laughs> Very true. And I, I'm sure that the documentation, like I said, comes into this a lot as well. You've got to, there's a lot resting on documentation here. Yeah, and that's the thing. You have to be able to show what you've audited, when you audited it, and how you went about selecting the areas that you audited. Because that risk-based approach is really now, okay, you know, we're not going to say every you got to show me a, a checkbox for every clause every time you do an audit, but you got to be able to show me how you went about selecting what you've audited and why you did that and your your, your risk-based process for how you've gone about developing that. So it's it's one of those things where it's great you have more freedom, but then, uh, you know, you have to also document uh, how you go about it so you can uh, demonstrate that you're actually meeting the standard. Yeah, I'm sure that does cause as many problems as it solves in that having a set of instructions eliminates a certain amount of freedom, which is nice in some cases. So, Yep, definitely. All right. I think that's a good point to wrap up 
this episode. Like I said, this is a series podcast, so in the very next episode, we're going to get into the next couple of deficiencies that are on this top 10 list. Thank you so much for listening. You should definitely subscribe if you're interested in hearing the next podcast in this series. Uh, Also, because it helps our visibility. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to The Conformance Cast by A2LA Workplace Training. A2LA Workplace Training provides high-quality training and consulting services for laboratories of all kinds throughout the world. Find us online at a2lawpt.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for A2LA Workplace Training.